I can hear what sounds a bit like a didgeridoo in the background. Oh, sorry. That's Hobbs snoring. <laughs> <laughs> let's just uh, let's just record this for posterity. Oh, no, he stopped now. I woke him up. Oh. It's, I thought Christina had a, taken out the didgeridoo. Oh, I mean, who knows? You know, I, I, I look askance at every Amazon order that comes to the house. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Don't Touch Your Face, Foreign Policy's daily podcast on the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Amy McKinnon. And I'm James Palmer. Later on in today's episode, we're going to hear from William Spasato, a writer and foreign policy contributor based in Japan, to talk about the postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. But first this. The world is changing in ways that affect your life and your business. Do you have the intelligence you need? Now, FP is offering Insider. With a new FP Insider subscription, you will get all of FP's content plus exclusive access to data-driven intelligence, power maps that distill complex issues, in-depth special reports, and conference calls on the biggest stories and trends. Get global insight you can bank on. Subscribe to FP Insider today at foreignpolicy.com slash FP Insider. So James, are you a sports aficionado? I theoretically know that sports exist. I, I'm very keen on the idea of other people doing sports. I encourage them to sport all they like. Um, I actually, you know, I'm from Manchester in England, which of course is famous for having two different and competing uh, football teams, or um, as Americans wrongly say, soccer. But, um, and I'm always, you know, wherever I go in the world by like Tibetan monks or like Bantu tribesmen or, you know, New Zealand taxi drivers, I am always asked which of these teams I support. And and I'm always like, I literally have never cared in my entire life. And I, I grew up like round the corner from Main Road, which was the original um city stadium but have just never the only times i can care about sports are when national teams are competing and then i can feel like a a a glimmer of sort of you know actual national enthusiasm for seeing england lose but it's going to be a big social loss the loss of these sporting events i mean as in england i mean in scotland they're just they're a huge deal i mean families come together people meet each other they go off to the football on the saturday morning um and if you can't even watch that at home it's going to be a big loss for people at a time when they kind of need that sense of of solidarity and coming together and just entertainment as well frankly oh totally and and even more so in fact in america where um because the country is so vast you know american school sports plays this really critical role that it doesn't in Mm. other countries I mean, have you ever give, did you ever give a, a single solitary damn about how your college was performing in a sport when you were in, in the UK? I was vaguely aware that we had a gym somewhere on campus, but that was it. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, we, ha- we had like intercollegiate things which people who liked sport sort of, sort of cared about. But in America, it's a huge deal. You know, student yeah. athletes is a huge deal. And that's mostly just because they don't have big enough networks for proper for you know grown-up sports teams to cover everyone so in places like texas you know your local high school football team meaning football in the sense of bad rugby is <laughs> a you know it's a huge deal it's really important to these communities and there are people who whose entire lives are, 
a, you know, bent around this. And of course, there's also the economic impact of all this as well. Just before we recorded today's show, I was looking up the value of of the sports market, and globally, in 2018, it was worth 488 billion dollars, and in North America alone, it's 71 billion dollars. So, you know, if all of that is being shuttered overnight, that's not going to help. Uh, the anemic economy at all. Absolutely. And I, I mean, all, all those vendors, all the all their equipment. I mean, what I think is going to be interesting is whether in the post-pandemic period we see, um, bearing in mind that it's going to, we're, we're probably going to go, I would think, back to, you know, limited gatherings before we do mass gatherings, obviously. And so I think we're prob- what we'll probably get is a resumption of seasons, but without spectators. So that right. strangeness of playing to, you know, empty stadiums. Yeah, the democratic debate. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which was actually much improved. It was a, a great audience. improvement. Yeah. Um, but it's also going to completely screw over trivia nights for the next like fifty years. There's going to be argue. There's going to be arguments where people are like, you know, does twenty twenty count? Oh yeah, good point. I mean, everyone hates the sports round and trivia anyway. At least I do. Sports and music round can never do. Uh, no, I mean we we do bec- we do Amy because because we, <laughs> we're nerds. It's. Other people yeah. like the sports round, those types, you know. And of course, the big sports news of this week was the cancellation of the Olympics, um, or technically delay, because in fact the plan is to hold the Olympics next year, when the pandemic is let's all hope over. Um, but the Olympics was set to be a huge deal for Japan, which was set to host it for the second time. The first time, of course, being after. Uh, the first time being in the 1960s when it was widely seen as Japan's sort of return to civilization after the war. And in fact, they've been due to hold it in 1940 when the Olympics was cancelled uh, because of World War II. But this time, this time it really was a, a completely unpredictable loss in a country that had been really looking for an opportunity to showcase its uh, place in the world again. I talked to William Spasato, a long-term resident of Japan and a writer for foreign policy, about the cancellation and about how Japan's handling the pandemic. So Japan is registering at the moment just over 1,300 cases. That seems startlingly low. I mean, there are U.S. states at this point that have more than that. Do you think those numbers are real? Well, that's a very good question that no one can really answer at this point, and there are a lot of theories running around about it. Uh, we do know that the Japanese government has been very strict on testing, uh, despite other places saying test everyone. Uh, to get tested in Japan, you have to call a special hotline. You should have a temperature and should have it for four days and be feeling unwell before you can even get the test. Now, some critics have charged that they're trying to cover up the true number of people. The authorities say that the goal is to not have the hospitals overcrowded with people who just are nervous and really have no reason to be tested. We're probably going to find out fairly soon if this is a true number or not, um, amid signs that there is some increase, sharp increase in the last few days, especially in the Tokyo area. So the answer should get, uh, the question should get answered fairly soon. And uh, are people practicing physical distancing? Are they staying away from public places and each other? Uh, the Japanese have always been fairly physically distanced. Uh, there's not much handshaking that goes on here. People tend to avoid face-to-face uh, encounters of a close range. 
Uh, on the other hand, uh, when the Olympic torch arrived the other day, something like 15,000 people came out to see it uh, come off the plane. So it's a, it's a mixture of yes and no at this point. People don't seem to be changing their daily routine all that much. Uh, subway trains are still, if not packed, uh, at least crowded. And you see people out at night and in the evenings. So if the number does turn out to be very low compared to other countries on a similar timeline, what factors in Japan do you think might have helped? I mean, you mentioned that it's a fairly distanced country anyway. Is there anything else that contributes to that? Um, there's that aspect, plus the fact that hygiene is pretty good. People are fairly careful about washing uh, their hands and uh, using face masks on a regular basis. Uh, while face masks are not recommended for people to avoid getting it, it is very handy, apparently, if you already have it. And so that could help in, uh, in stopping the spread, uh, especially in crowded places. So those factors would seem to be on the positive side for Japan, uh, but we don't know if it's going to be, uh, if it's going to carry out that way or not. So Japan is obviously a pretty old country, one of the oldest in the world, in fact. And this is a disease that hits older people harder, even as it also badly affects young people. If it does spread in Japan, is that going to make it especially painful? Uh, I haven't seen any analysis of that. As you say, it is an aging society. On the other hand, the elderly here are relatively healthy compared to other countries. Uh, most people uh, continue exercising in various uh, either informal or formal programs. The morning NHK TV show has an exercise segment every single day. So uh, that and the mixture of the fact that uh, Japan has a fairly good, a very good health system, uh, and so might be more ready than other countries to cope with, with an increase, it, it's hard to say at this point. We've just seen the Olympics cancelled, of course. How is that being taken there? I mean, surely this doesn't come as a shock to anyone at this point. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's been building for a few days. The, uh, the government and the IOC had been saying for a while that there were, quote, no plans to make a change. Um, but obviously behind the scenes, uh, action was underway. Um, the IOC said that it would take another month to consider things and then just two days later formally decided to uh, postpone the games. Uh, Prime Minister Abe says it was at his request to postpone for up to a year. So I think there's just a resignation that, you know, there are a lot bigger issues in the world right now. And what kind of economic impact is that having? Not just the Olympics, but the impact of the pandemic worldwide? Yes, uh, it is having a big effect on Japan's economy. GDP was already down at an annual 7% rate in the fourth quarter of last year. Um, first quarter looks like it's going to come in at minus 4% and uh, possibly another 7% decline in the second quarter. Those are very serious numbers. It is not just, as you say, the Olympics, but tourism has been a very big driver of the economy in recent years. And that, of course, has now completely disappeared. So the same sector hit by the Olympics is now being hit by a general downturn in tourism. Also, of course, China is Japan's biggest trading partner and the U.S. is number two. So when you look at the impact of their economies, um, Japan is obviously feeling and reeling to some extent from that. So last year, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe seemed to be riding pretty high. Do you think all this is going to bring him down? 
Uh, I think it's going to cut in, obviously, to the government support rating. Whether it brings down Abe or not is a difficult one. He has survived a lot of problems in the past. He's now Japan's longest serving prime minister. Um, but these things can build up very quickly, obviously. And he's also something of a lame duck. He's due to leave in the fall of 2021 anyway. So people within his Liberal Democratic Party, which has ruled the country for most of the post-war period, uh, may decide that it's, uh, it's going to be a good time to make a change sooner rather than later. And one final question tying together the economy and the virus. Is the production of medical equipment in Japan in a strong position? Um, in terms of equipment, the hospitals are pretty well uh, uh, set up, although we don't know if it's a huge uh, situation like you've seen in New York, uh, whether they can sustain that or not. Uh, there are shortages of masks, not surprisingly. Uh, alcohol used to sort of wash your hands is also in short supply. And uh, part of the global phenomenon, toilet paper. But in terms of the medical equipment, they're probably in, in okay shape, if not um, ready for the worst uh, that may come up. I mean, I guess at least this is the time to be grateful for Japanese toilets. Good point. Yes, Japanese washlet toilets are, are going to uh, reduce the need for those, uh, or reduce the problems associated with the toilet paper. That was William Spasato talking from Japan. So, James, did you see that com some companies have changed their logos and their advertising to try and encourage physical distancing? CNN had a piece on this on Thursday. Audi have separated out the, the rings on their logo. Um, and McDonald's in Brazil has, uh, has, in one of their adverts, has separated their famous golden arches. Um, and, of course, they were then roundly attacked on Twitter um, by people, most notably Bernie Sanders, pointing out the fact that McDonald's doesn't have paid sick leave and that that may be more, a more constructive way for them to contribute to uh, the fight against coronavirus. That, that would help. I mean, i got to say I really do miss my local McDonald's, which was a great gathering place for everybody in the neighbourhood, um, particularly me because I love McDonald's. That's... Did you see they've cancelled the breakfast menu? No. Oh, God. This is really all hitting home now. The end of the breakfast menu is my personal Rubicon. So that's it from us today. We'll be back on Monday with more coronavirus news from around the world. In the meantime, don't forget to head over to foreignpolicy.com for all the latest news and analysis. I'm Amy McKinnon. And I'm James Palmer. Our show is produced by Darcy Palder and Dan Haverty and is edited by Rob Sachs. Our web team includes Laurie Kelly and Kelly Kimball. The executive producer for news and podcasts at Foreign Policy is Dan Efron. Until next time, please remember not to gather in groups. And don't touch your face. <laughs> <laughs>